everybody. Welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago. And as always, you can tweet us using the Twitter handle at Media Review Pod and the hashtag Media Review Pod. You can also send us an email at mediareviewpod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. And you can also leave a voicemail by calling 407-603-5847. And another little thing, but it's very consequential. Please rate and review the show by going to Apple Podcast page and leaving a five-star review. This helps us get noticed and hopefully, you know, get more listeners, right? So joining me today is a very very special guest straight out of california and hopefully not from a creepy lake <laughs> and he's here to talk about his new film what lies below out in the theater section of your vod or digital account people please please welcome writer director and cinematographer Braden doomler welcome to the pod Thank you, sir. I uh, never realized what a buttery voice you have until I've done this podcast with you. Uh, you're oh, you're wow. perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying I should work in radio? Is that it? I know. You got the <laughs> voice for it, for sure. You know? Like, I love it. It sounds great. Hey, we try, right? We try. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while. We, we haven't seen each other in, what, 10 years? God, I, it probably has been that long, yeah. I mean, we, we've kept in touch through Facebook and whatnot and some emails here and there, but uh, face-to-face, I haven't, I haven't seen your bushy mustache in a while. It's the first I time I see you with a mustache. I, I think I'm finally hitting puberty, Richard. It's, it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so, slowly but surely. So, uh, so we, we, we know each other fr- from, from USC, uh, Bratton and I, we we did um, we did film school together. Mm-hmm. We did film production at USC in California, and um, we uh, we were we were in a trio, a very special trio. Yes, with another filmmaker, Yili. Uh, she was great. Uh, so here here I have Bratton Dumuller. I produced one of his short films. Mm-hmm. And he was the cinematographer and the editor for one of my short films. And we, uh, we just kept doing stuff together here and there. I, I, he, he, uh, he invited me to work on his thesis film, so I helped a couple days there. Um, and then you were, we, kind, you were kind enough to volunteer on my thesis film. Well, <laughs> That's what you mean by that. <laughs> it, it was fun. It's always fun to be on set. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 you know, help fellow filmmakers filmmakers out, um, and then we parted ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did your thing. I'm I'm over here in Florida doing my thing, mm-hmm. and I have seen through Facebook all the cool stuff that you've been doing. One one of your first uh, short films, she always. It was nominated for an award, right? She always was, was uh, you know, one of my first short, short films that you produce and I think Ely shot and edited. Um, and it uh, got into the New York International Film Festival and it won the Best Student Film Award 
yeah, but it was, it was nice. It was rewarding to get to screen it in a theater and, mm-hmm. you know, have my friends and family there. It was, it was a great experience. It was my first experience of really sharing it with the general public. That's great. Know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so we're here to talk about your film, What Lies Below. But before we, we, we dive into that, I want to, to, you know, warm our engines a little bit. Okay, so I, I want the audience to know a little bit about you. And, you know, we can start off with some warm-up questions, and then we can move on to the meaty stuff, all right? Okay, sounds good. All right. You're, so, you're easing me in. I like it. So, Braden, where were you born and raised? Uh, so I was born in Norwalk, Connecticut. I grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut, uh, which is Fairfield County. It's a big commuter area for New York City. Um, so, yeah, that's where I grew up. Uh, I grew up pretty much an athlete. I played hockey extremely competitively for a long time. Uh, loved the sport. Uh, tried to get into get onto a Division three or Division one team in college, and ultimately got injured. So I had to try to walk on at University of Vermont and failed at that. Uh, but my freshman year of college, I took a film theory class, thinking that this is going to be easy. We're just talking about film, you know, <laughs> and I fell in love with it. I, I still am in touch with my professor. Um, it was He was so charismatic and so passionate about the material. And it just made me just like, like it, it was all of a sudden like I was seeing film for the first time again, you know, and it was an explosion of insight in my mind. And, and I just loved it. And I've been pers- kind of chasing the dream ever since. Is there any particular reason why then you headed on to film production? Cause I film, film, film theory and film production are two separate things. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I spent, you know, four years basically talking about film, analyzing film, psychoanalysis, uh, Simularka, you know, reading Zizek and, Zen and all these different theorists. Um, and I went uh, to study abroad in China because I was ex- actually studying Mandarin at the time. Mm-hmm. And one, our, our class went to a, a park, you know, a, a really beautiful garden. And we were walking through uh, the sidewalks. And all of a sudden, I heard this singing and I approached and there was a man on a bench mm-hmm. um, singing out of a book. And he wasn't singing for money. He wasn't singing to anyone. He was just singing for the joy of singing. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, and I started to ask myself, like, who is he singing to? How often does he do this? Why does he do this? And that ultimately led to the idea for my first short film, which was She Always. And, and it just made me realize I wanted to be a storyteller. I wanted to tell stories and not just talk about uh, films, you know? Did you apply to other film schools? Yeah, I think I applied to, if I can, if I'm getting this correctly, uh, for Florida State. Uh, I think I got into the interview process, didn't get in there. I applied to LMU, I got in there. I applied to NYU and Columbia, did not get into either one of those, uh, and ultimately ended up at USC. Is is there, and I know I have one, but is there a particular film that you credit? where you say, all right, this is the reason why I'm doing this. My favorite film of all time is Braveheart, but I don't think I necessarily wanted to be a filmmaker when I watched Braveheart for the right. first time. Mm-hmm. But I remember the like the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of something that was really profound and, and, and hit me uh, 
is the opening um, shot of uh, Le Mepri by Jean-Luc Godard, like Contempt. Um, and it's this, it, it's so crazy, the shot. It, it, it's the camera set up. It's, it's looking down kind of an alley. Um, and you're shooting a film set that's actually shooting at the time. And the, the camera is tracking with two people and coming towards the camera that's shooting, that you're seeing out of. And as this slow track, as this camera is approaching you and these people are approaching you, Jean-Luc Godard or somebody is narrating the, le- the, the credits of the film rather than them coming on screen. Mm. And then at the very end of the shot, the camera turns towards the other camera and they look at each other and they just hold. And I don't know why that hit me so hard, but I just went, my God. And I think it made me realize that everything I had seen before that moment was mainstream, was pretty much Hollywood. And mm. this was a whole new ballgame. And it just re- made me rethink everything I, I had ever felt, thought about, um, experienced with film. Um, and I think, I don't know if that led me to want to be a filmmaker, but it led me to believe in the possibilities of film, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Um, so once you once you come into USC, mm-hmm. did you have stories that you wanted to tell or did that come as, as you went on? Um, you know, I think I was in, in such an identity crisis when I was first coming to USC. I, I wasn't really finding stories yet. Um, by the way, was, you, you, you'd never been on set, right? No, I'd never really been on a set. I'd never really shot anything mm-hmm. before. I mean, you know, I would messed around with my parents' camera or something like that, but I'd never yeah. actually been in production. Um, and so I was nervous and super insecure, you know, uh, and, uh, all these people, there was people that were in our film school that had already done feature films. It was yeah. just, it was mind blowing to me. And, I'm sitting here going, oh my God, how am I going to survive this? Um, and I think I just kind of tried to, you know, do my best. Like I was really determined to kind of prove myself, like to be accepted, you know? I think when you start going down that hole, that's, that's a really bad uh, way to go, you know, because the only people, person you should be comparing yourself to is, you know, either the greats or yourself. You know, right. you should be aspiring you shouldn't be competitive with your peers because these are ultimately your friends and these are people that are struggling with you. And, and, and so I kind of, it took me a while to realize that. And then at some point in school, I just got, you know, started to get that really close circle of collaborators and, and never looked back and just started making stuff with them. You know, do you think, do you think age was probably a factor there? Oh yeah. I was, you know, and, and also just complete, you know, I was so cut off. I mean, you got to remember, I, I went to pretty much an all white high school, all white neighborhood, all white sit town to an all white college. Mm -hmm. You know, there was just no diversity where I was from. There was no diversity of thought. There was no diversity of people. Uh, there was no diversity of culture, you know, Uh, like just meeting you and knowing your family's background was completely different than anything I had ever experienced before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and and so I, I just, I, it just took me time and I don't think I ever, I even got there over the course. I think I'm still figuring out, I think we're always figuring out because it is, 
one of life's journeys, one of the life's hardest journeys is inwards, right? It's, it's realizing these things that you thought, you know, uh, before, and then all of a sudden seeing other sides and other ideas and other culture. It's just, it's, it was really enlightening and it just took a while for me to figure it all out, I think. Um, and I was just young and I was, you know, uh, still trying to, I, I was young and I was tr- trying to overcompensate for my insecurities mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so, so USC was not always the best experience for me, but, um, I, 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 but I do remember fondly us, uh, us three and our three films in 508. Cause that was such a battle there. Like if we didn't get along, <laughs> that, that was going to suck, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so we yeah, had yeah. to get along, you know, Absolutely. we had to just make it work. You know, because it was such a crazy schedule. Yeah, it was. It was. It was weekends back to back, while we we also had other classes. Mm-hmm. Um, waking up at the crack of dawn or mm-hmm. working till, you know, we burned the uh, midnight oil. Yep. We had specific, very strict rules of not going over time and giving the actors enough of a break, giving us enough of a break. Yep. Uh, we had a skeleton crew because it was us three and then whoever could volunteer. Yeah. Well, there was one guy I had to hire for mine because he was the only one who knew how to do a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even know how to do yeah. a dolly yet. We yeah. were still figuring that out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, remember for mine, I constructed a, a Oh, yeah, a, out of the plastic track. and the conduit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we finally figured out that if we just removed the conduit and just rolled it on the floor, it was actually better. <laughs> yeah. And we just did that. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Wild, man. It was, it was wild. Uh, but it was, it was good formative years. Um, and I also credit USC with, you know, all the, all the people that I met. Mm-hmm. Who I still keep in touch with. For sure, there's uh, so ma- there was so many talented people there. Yeah, like, I, I'm always reaching out to friends. Like I have, I read your script recently. I, I I'm reading uh, Sylvia Grossman's script and uh, Brian Schofield's script. You know, like there, there's just so much talent out there, and it, it's, you know, it's disappointing that there isn't a way for people to get these things made. Now, we talked about your film. She always. And then there was another short film with another director. Uh, probably people don't know him. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about a short film called Fig, where you were a cinematographer. With uh, Jimmy Liu, yes. With, yeah, along with Jimmy Liu. Uh, and the director was... Ryan Coogler. None other than Ryan Coogler. Yeah. Black Panther fame. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. How, how, how soon in production were you involved? Um, and why that script, uh, called your attention. Um, so I found, so Coog, uh, was looking for someone and he actually brought Jimmy on very early on because apparently they were friends and they were looking through the reels and then they brought me on um, because they liked my reel, which was thanks partly to your short film. uh, One of the ones that was on there. 
Um, mm. and she, you know, she always a little bit because I, there was this weird thing about like, you know, I, I'm making shots. I, I was still learning with cinematography is cinematography shot choice, right? Or is it just lighting? You know, and I, I still haven't really figured that out because at, me as a director, I, I know where my shots are, but I've met other directors who have no idea. They want the cinematographer to take care of that. So it really ebbs and flows. Uh, but needless to say, I had quite a few films on there. Some of them I had shot, some of them I had directed because I was making the shot choices. So I thought that meant something and helping with the lighting. Um, and they found, and they liked my stuff and they met with me and my interview, I, I brought all these slides and these pictures of all these ideas I had for the script. Um, and, and Coog, uh, I guess he liked it, he liked my enthusiasm. He liked my ideas and we signed on. And I, I, I can't say that I was particularly attracted or connected to the script, but I saw certain things. And one of the things that I saw for the first time in my life was handheld shots. Um, and I had never read a script and gone, I want to do some handheld because I, mm. I, I typically hate handheld photography. I, I really think it's distracting and it actually subverts what the message that's trying to bring. It's, it's trying to make it more realistic. And in the end, it makes it less realistic in my mind because it makes you aware of the camera. But um, needless to say, I, I read the script and I saw a very distinct, you know, um, handheld shot in my mind. And I said that to Coog and Coog, that's the moment I think Coog first and I first bonded was he said, Brad, I hate handheld too, but I, I, I see handheld as well. And, um, and so, and, and the, the rest is kind of, you know, just was me and Jimmy just trying our best, you know, cause 546 is one hell of a class. That was that uh, the class, uh, that they structured that around, uh, it's grueling. It's four weekends straight while you're taking other classes, while you're trying to get it all made. Uh, we didn't have locations locked down all the time. We, ha we had rain coming in and we didn't have a backup set. So we'd be like trying to hustle in the rain and, and get everything. It was, it was just crazy. Um, and, uh, and in the end we, we got it done. It was definitely a battle. Um, you know, I learned a lot. I was not, the best on that set at all the times. Cause I, I think my passion gets the best of me sometimes. Um, and people, people take it as intensity or, or meanness. And I, and I've learned a lot from that, uh, um, that I have to, I can still maintain my passion without, uh, you know, being so confrontational. Um, mm -hmm. and I, and I have to do a better job of, of maintaining camaraderie on set. I think that's so important because, because set is a battle, you know, you're really in that together and right. it's tough, you know? Um, and so that was a big learning experience for me. Um, I still regret a lot of the things that happened on that set, but you know, I mean, this is, that's part of the learning experience. It's part of the learning curve, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. So, but yeah. And then Coog, uh, I think he met Forrest Whitaker soon afterwards and then he made Fruitvale station, which was, just an incredibly necessary film um, yeah. and a, a great, um, I don't know if you want to say homage to, to Oscar Grant or, or a memorial to him or, you know, just something that meant something uh, for him and for his community. And, uh, and then, you know, it was Creed and then it was Black Panther. So he really took off and now yeah. he's doing Space Jam, which I'm so excited about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that film, did you work, um, with the color part with the, uh, digital, 
color correction. Color correction. Um, yeah, we did color grading at Photochem, I think, or, or whatever the the deal was with 546. So Jimmy, myself, and Coog were all, you know, in this lab just coloring the film. It's interesting. I look back on it now, um, and I remember Coog. He really liked. We had this little lens adapter on the front of it and it created a milkiness to the image you Mm -hmm. know where the contrast wasn't as high and everything kind of got a little bit squished together and Coog actually really liked the look but the rule is that when you use one of those lens adapters you you pull the image you 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 create a contrast right so Jimmy and I kind of pushed for the contrast but I also kind of understood what Coog liked and so I still wonder if I'd do it again if I would not have pulled the image as, as we did and create the contrast and just allow it to be milky. Uh, cause it's, cause in the end it, 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 that it, it meant made sense for the story. You know, it was a gritty, a, not a pretty story. You know, it was very grounded. It was very realistic. And, and so maybe the, the, the little messiness of the image would have elevated that and not, um, detracted from it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, when you say the the adapter is that the uh, the thirty five millimeter, yeah, remember we, we were shooting on those uh, those Sony, what were they called, like ED ones or something? I forget. <laughs> they were digital, but they they had no focal depth. Their their focal right. plane was huge, so you you wouldn't be able to focus on something and put the thing behind it out of focus. So mm-hmm. a lot of people use these thirty five millimeter adapters to create a more filmic look a more right. 35 millimeter look and I, I i definitely think it was worth it Coog was adamant about it uh i i was definitely not going to fight him on it because it just made us made the film look better mm-hmm. um but yeah it was it, it's you know it's it's one of those things if you can i mean it, it is tough if you can't have control of your focus as a filmmaker you're, you're losing one of your tools in your toolkit as a storyteller you know so i understand the necessity of it and i understand why uh, he pushed for it. Yeah, yeah. Now that film went on to win uh, an HBO award, right? Yeah, Black Film, the HBO Black Film Festival. It ended up on HBO. Um, I think it won a DGA award too for uh, best African American director. Um, yeah, it, it 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 was it was a phenomenal response. People loved that film. Uh, and meanwhile, me, Coog, and, and Jimmy are like, we, we want to do it again. You know? but I remember us having arguments to the very day it released about things, you know, but, uh, but we're, you know, I'm proud of it. it it's, you know, uh, I think, um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a testament to my, my working relationship with Jimmy too, who I, I get along like with, he's like my brother from another mother. You yeah. know, I'm just, we, we work together so well. Uh, even though we butt heads constantly, but in a good way, mm-hmm. we just argue, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's always fun to look back on these things because um, because you realize how how much you've grown from from that moment until now. Because you say mm-hmm. you were confrontational, you you probably weren't mature enough when you were on set. It's great that you recognize all of this because you can you know put it into play next time you're on set, uh, and then. It'll it's it's worth it. It's worth all this. I call it an adventure, right? To you know, start off on this set in one way, see it through, 
have a very successful short film and then be able to look back on it, even if it was a tough time, you still have the evidence that you guys, you put your blood and sweat on this film. And and even even though you've, you guys maybe a couple of days didn't get along on set, um, you still were able to produce something that's worth it. And it's well, it's an experience you. that has led you to where you are right now. Which oh, is without cool. a doubt. No, I, I absolutely. I think we're defined more by our scars than we are by our successes. You right. know, yeah. and and I have a lot of scars from USC from just screwing up <laughs> a lot. You know, <laughs> and but it but it, I think it made me the filmmaker I am. You know, so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I think I think it is important to fail and to screw up and to be bad at things. You know. Yeah. Mm. So uh, then you you um, everybody needs to kind of do a final project when you graduate from production at USC. Some people choose to work on a script, a feature length script. Some people choose to produce a short film and others write and direct a short film mm -hmm. you chose to write and direct your own short film yeah well i would say i was fortunate enough to be able to do to yes. write and direct because they are expensive um, yes and uh it happened to just work out well it's it's a horrible way but uh one of my family members in germany passed away uh and left a small inheritance to my father and my father couldn't bring it in without getting taxed on it. So instead he donated it to USC and that became my little budget for the awesome. film. Um, works, it wasn't, man. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess it's like the worst possible way to bring, have money come to you, but um, you know, it gave us a little bit of, you know, and I raised the rest of the money on, you know, Kickstarter um, through yeah. friends and family. Um, and I did a little, a fundraiser in New York with some family and uh, friends and, and that kind of, that got us the budget, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then so, he was able so, to make it because of it. And that, that film is, is uh, a little thriller. Uh, it has some psychological aspects to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it has a very different ending than what, you originally intended. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? First of all, how did the story come about? And then what happened toward the end that you said, all right, we, we need to kind of change this up. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm starting to learn that I'm a little too subtle with uh, my writing and directing. Um, <laughs> I love, I love movies that you, you watch it the first time and you get it, you kind of get it. And then you go back and everything makes sense. And you just mm -hmm. go, Oh my God, how did I not see that coming? Um, especially when you have big endings. And so the original, um, script for mimic was supposed to be kind of an ambiguous ending where you weren't sure whether what happened in the motel room actually happened. Um, and finally, we we realized that people weren't getting the ambiguity. Um, and so uh, I think it was Daniel Hanna, the editor, suggested, you know, let's just go for it. Let's go with the alternate reality thing. And we went with it and we created the um, the final shot, which kind of tied everything all together, um, which I 
I think possibly my current feature might need one more shot because <laughs> people are so pissed about the ending. Uh, but you know, um, yeah, I, I, so it was really just after many edits and, and just screening it, people just wanted something else. Like they just were missing that one thing. And so we just decided let's give it to them. Um, and, and I was able to kind of just throw together this super low budget at my friend's house, um, you know, shoot, uh, with a borrowed red camera and Jimmy and a bunch of extras that were fr- friends and we made it happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a lesson in do test screenings mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as you can and, uh, listen, uh, when you do them because people have really, you, they might not say what, what you need, but they'll, but when you listen to it all and you kind of start to filter it, you, you, you end up hearing what you need. Um, and uh, I think it's so important uh, for okay. filmmakers. Did the issue ever arrive while you were writing as you showed it to your mentor or any other professors or your friends? No, they, uh, they kind of left me alone. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of, you know, don't do this, do this kind of thing. Um, I never, I, I remember sending the script to a lot of people and, people seem to be responding to it. A lot of people didn't get it because it was, I mean, the premise of the script, if you remember is that the guy goes into a motel and the TV in the motel sees 15 seconds into the future. Right. So he sees him doing something and then he ends up doing something, um, which you don't realize how it's going to happen, but it keeps happening. Right. Where Mm -hmm. just this cycle of doing what you don't want to do, but you know, you're going to do. And, Needless to say, on script, on page format, that's not exactly the easiest thing to follow, you know, Um, but that's what it was. So I think that was one of the reasons was just people had trouble. And I was still, I'm still a novice at screenwriting, but I was much more a novice back then at screenwriting. Um, And so I was, I wasn't probably doing the best job uh, writing it. but yeah, so I never really got a lot of big notes or anything like that uh, from any of my professors or, or any of the people I sent it to. People, I remember Kug even read it. I remember Jimmy read it. I, everyone seemed to be responding to it in a good way. Um, they Sometimes they challenged me for something more. I remember Kug said he wants the TV to talk. <laughs> he wanted it to be a conversation because he said the most interesting thing about people is... Uh, the most interesting thing to people is other people. Mm. Um, and I thought that was pretty profound and I, I think it's 100% true, but I just, every time I wrote the TV talking, I didn't like it. I just wanted it to be visual. You know, I didn't mm. want it to be a dialogue thing. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up going, uh, with the original idea with just the TV communicating through images. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And you, you relied a lot on, on your actor, Trevor, Trevor Black. Yeah, he's so amazing. Uh, God bless that guy. Because there's hardly any dialogue there, right? Very little, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a fun set to be on. Uh, I remember being there and seeing a bunch of my colleagues, our colleagues there, uh, and then eventually going to the screening. I th- did we screen together? I think we did screen together. Yeah. 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 Good times. Yeah. Good. 
Did crazy. we bring beer? Yeah, we no, had, I, I brought a lot of beer. <laughs> yeah, we had we had we had coolers with beer. I think we were so nervous too. We were drinking before the the thing the show started. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that was that was fun. That was fun. Um, okay, so we do we we did our our our, our short films. You graduated from USC, mm-hmm. and what then? Was so, was life just a blank slate where you said, yeah. "All right, so I have this degree, I want to make a film. How do I do it? What right. do I do? Where do I work? Where do I go?" So I went to the um, the career services place at USC, and I mm-hmm. said, "You know, I'd love to write. You know, uh, I'd love to get in a writer's room. You know, what do you suggest?" And they kind of looked at me and go, "Yeah, you should." shoot a web series and i go excuse me and you go yeah you shoot a web series a lot of people getting recognized by web series now and i'm sitting there going wait that's your advice we don't have like we're usc we don't have connections and internships and like you know desks people that need uh people to run the desk and and ways to work up the ladder you know there was nothing and she's and she was just very much just kept saying, "Yeah, you should make a YouTube series." And I was I just said to myself, "Oh my gosh!" And so I went home, I did a little research, and I realized that there's six million videos uploaded to YouTube every day, yeah, every single day. Yeah. And I said, "That's that's worse odds than if I made a feature film." Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's the dumbest <laughs> advice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really it's just it's idiotic. I couldn't believe this person said that. To me. Um, and so anyways, I got really, really, really upset because here I am in this loaded in student debt with the best advice is to make, spend money making a YouTube series after I got an education from what's supposed to be the best film school in the damn world. Um, and, and I started to look on the USC site for any, any jobs. And the only thing I could d- find was internships. That's it. After mm-hmm. four, three years of grad school, the best I could find was a freaking internship. So I applied to an internship at this company called Stampede Management, which was paid, Snoop. Paid or, or unpaid? Unpaid. This Classic. is <laughs> you're gonna Classic. love this though, Richard. Okay. <laughs> so I, I applied to a, an internship at Stampede Management at Snoop Dogg's company. Okay. Nice. And I I shit you not, the first week of my internship, I was shooting Dog's uh, YouTube show. I was his cinematographer. Yes. Yes. Not being paid. <laughs> and I was his like his cameraman from that point on. And so I worked and, and listen, like I'm not this is the way of the of industry. This isn't on Stampede. The fact is that if Stampede if I didn't do it for free, somebody else would do it for free. Right. So it's just the nature of the business, unfortunately. Um but needless to say, um I, I soon got hired but at a comical salary. You'd you'd you wouldn't even, you'd, you'd, you would scream. Um, but, and, uh, I became kind of the go-to video guy. If they needed something, they need somebody to go shoot something, blah, blah, blah. And I was just all over, over the place, shooting, shooting, shooting. And eventually, um, one of the, uh, the, the higher up managers of the company kind of brought me into his office and he goes, Hey, I got this new artist. I'd really like uh, to shoot a lyric video, which is where they sh- sing somebody else's uh, song and they just redo it. You know, they kind of remix it. Mm -hmm. And he says, can you just take her in the back and shoot her against a wall? And I go, can I, 
not do that? You know, like, can I do something more than that? And they go, yeah, what did you have in mind? And they gave me no money and like no real support. So I said, well, you know, it's, you know, I, and I thought of, I listened to the, the song and I came up with a treatment. Um, and I ended up shooting like kind of like my version of a Mariah Carey uh, music video on, on uh, the Santa Monica Pier where she's on the roller coaster and all these things. And we just guerrilla styled it and we just got the shots, you know. Um, and needless to say, they loved it. And then for the next two, three years, I probably shot 12 or 14 music videos with no budget. Um, and I produced, direct, edited, shot, did the yes. whole thing all with right. no budget, right? And but here's the kicker, right? I was they loved my work so much that they that the owner of the company had me uh, do a music video for his wife, you know, um, which was actually the only one that I had a a budget on, right? And yeah. so I was like, okay, they like me. They're they're giving me traction. Mm -hmm. And so what I used to do is I used to stay late at night and I used to write treatments for all of their big artists like Macy Gray, Snoop Dogg, YG. And I used to write these detailed treatments that I really loved. Like I thought they were so good. I was so ex excited about this them. This is for new songs? Yeah, for new songs that they were coming out with their new albums. Like mm -hmm. they had Mystical Sign. They had uh, Macy Gray. They had YG. They had Snoop Dogg. They even had Eddie Murphy at one time when he tried to be a singer. Um, and, right. and, I was, I, and I would create treatments for him. And then I would chase the, the, um, their manager down in the parking lot who I'd been shooting all this stuff for the the, the – a smaller artist, you know, I would mm -hmm. say, Hey man, I made a treatment for Macy's new video. Can you check it out, please? Like, I'd love to do it. And no matter what I did, no matter how well I did on the no budget music videos, they would never let me into the big leagues. I was not a big budget director. Right. And I realized I had hit a wall. Like they're just not going to trust me with it. They, they think that I'm the low budget guy which mm. is ironic because usually when, when you can do something that's cool with no budget, you could probably do something that's cool with, with, a, with a budget, right? Mm. Um, so needless to say, that plan fizzled out. And I kind of uh, I got let go because uh, they were downsizing. Um, and I was really depressed and I just started to write again. Uh, and then I just started writing and writing and writing. Uh, and I started to bartend and drive Uber and Lyft and I would do anything to make money, you know, mm -hmm. just to skate, just to skirt by while I was writing, you know, my I considered my main job writing and then my, whatever I did on the weekends to make money was just enough money to pay my rent and buy my food and survive, you know? Yep. And so I just kept doing that for a while. And so I finally got the advice from somebody. I, I gave him this script that was probably like a five or $10 million script. And the, and the person said, Brad, I love your writing, but nobody's going to give you five fucking million dollars to make a movie. Nobody knows who you are and nobody <laughs> gives a shit about you. Seriously. And he said, you have to write something so low budget that you can just go make it. Right. And so then from that point on, I was trying to make like $100,000 scripts. Um, mm -hmm. and mostly horror thriller scripts. Um, I made one that, you know, everybody loves, but I couldn't get people to read it that were in power. Yeah. Um, I made another that everybody, all, all my friends and family loved, but nobody would read it that were in power and just kept doing this thing where I just kept getting stuck. Nobody would read the scripts no matter what. And every time I took a meeting at TIFF or I went to AFM, 
the first thing they would ask me is, do you have any money or do you have any cast attached? And I'm sitting there going, if I had either of those, why would I be talking to you? <laughs> What's the point? Like, <laughs> I'm bringing you a script. Like, that, that's the point. They, they want to buy packages. That's the they, thing. They want it already set up. They want, yeah. It's unbelievable how bureaucratic the film industry is. There's so many layers to getting a film. There's so many people that take money off of it that don't do really anything to make it happen. You look at these films, they got 15 executive producers. What the hell is going on with that? Yeah. You know, I'm never going to get anyone to read. I'm going to be go doing this for 10 years. I'm never going to get any read, anyone to read it. Um, and so I uh, decided, screw it. I'm going to try to raise the money. So I sent it to friends back in New York City. Um, this is the script for... This is, yeah, Viscous, which now is White Lies Below. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm just No, no, no. It's, it's, it's all right. I just want to get it straight. All right. Yes. Okay. Uh, so so the, the current f film that's out called What Lies Below um, was originally titled Viscous, um, like viscosity, uh, mm. not vicious, but it's okay if you think that. It was intended. But, uh, <laughs> but, but needless to say, I, I sent it to friends that uh, worked in New York City um, that were working at hedge funds. These guys are buddies with billionaires, you know, mm. like, and they said, Brad, we can get this made. Um, like I, we love this. We can get this made. And they helped raise a small bit of equity. We went out, uh, Jimmy Liu introduced me to Abel Vang, who is one of the producers on the film, um, and Stephen Stanley. Um, and they got us a great casting director named Katrina Wendell George. Um, and Katrina was just pounding the pavement trying to get us because she just believed in the script. She loved the script so much that she was going, we're shooting for the stars with this. Like, let's get somebody talent, like big uh, name. And eventually we got uh, Mina Savari's um, manager to reach out, Oren. Um, and he loved the script, but wasn't sure we had the money <laughs> and kind of grilled us. And then eventually uh, Mina met with me she loved the script and she signed on and then once mina was signed on dude i we i probably could have taken that to any studio at that point you know because not like not a big studio but just a small indie production because it was thriller it had a name um and people seemed to seem to like the script uh, more mm -hmm. or less so as a result um we were kind of off to the races at that point and i think she signed on in june maybe july and we ended up shooting that september so awesome. it moved very fast after that awesome all right so now that we're kind of into it let's uh let's talk more in depth about your movie what lies below so this this is a brief synopsis of the movie from imdb i don't know if you agree with it or not but no, here, no, go, here not, goes not a huge fan but go ahead. here goes here goes so a 16 year old girl returns home from camp and learns that her mother has a new boyfriend one she intends to marry a man whose charm intelligence and beauty make him look like he's not human at all <laughs> Oh, it's brutal. How about that? What do you what do you think about that? Uh, I prefer, you know, just saying that he seems uh, too perfect to be true, or something like that. Okay, you know? All right. something like that. Um, okay, yeah, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, they uh, and I, listen. I'm not 
complaining they the the PR marketing firm wants to push it as a horror creature feature. Mm-hmm. By all means, whatever sells, dude. You know, like let's do it. Whatever <laughs> it takes, right? You know, I just, yeah. you know, I just, I just, I hate spoilers, and I kind of feel like there's almost a spoiler in the description of the film, which, yeah. which sucks, you know. But, but at the same, t- at the same token, you got to get people to watch it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I, I feel very, very much the same way. Um, I, I despise watching trailers of movies that I want to watch mm-hmm. because Me of too. that. Me too. Totally. Um, so, and they give so it, much away in the trailer for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please don't watch the trailer. If you want to watch the movie, just watch the movie. Right, just watch the movie. <laughs> skip the trailer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, so, so I I watched this film. I don't know, a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago. Anyway, yeah. so the point the point is the point is for Christmas this year. I talked to my wife and we kind of agreed that we would have our gifts earlier this year, right? And so I've always really, really, really wanted a home theater system, Mm -hmm. right? And I settled for, for, you know, the bar and the two speakers for surround sound in the back and the subwoofer. Mm -hmm. That was okay. That was fine. But I wanted the real thing i wanted right. i wanted real speakers and i wanted a, a a real receiver amp i wanted i wanted it all right mm-hmm. and so this year i said to my wife okay i'm doing this research because this is what i would like to do so i was reach researching for months because I have nothing better to do during quarantine than to research in, on in Amazon and YouTube and all these <laughs> places. So I actually have a Dolby Atmos home theater system. That's amazing. 5.1.2. I'm coming over to your house. Which is great, right? So your movie comes along and I say, all right, so this is, uh, this is the movie. This, I'm the just, first I'm one just... was I the first one in that yes. theater? Yes. Oh my god, yeah, I'm so yeah. honored. That's amazing. You were you were the first movie. I kind of I kind of tried other stuff just to see how it sounded to make sure that everything was connected. But the full shebang was your movie. Okay. And I have to say, I am really glad that I didn't watch this on either my computer or my iPad or anything where I had to use headphones because the sound mix was pretty cool, man. Oh, thank you. It was you. really, really cool. You know, all the way up until, and I, this is not a spoiler, but all the way up until the end credits, you kind of hear stuff in the back. Mm. I, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the mu- the the music and the sound somehow is mixed in a way where you get surround stuff going on around you while the credits keep rolling. It's it's pretty cool. Very, very, cool. very cool. Very cool. I'm, very cool. I'm glad you like the sound. It was yeah. um, and Nathan Royal was uh, this is sound design. He 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 worked with me on that, and he did a gr- incredible job with his team. Um, really it, wonderful job. He actually worked on Sev's film Searching as well. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. But we just happened to be lucky. He was in between projects. So we were able to na- snag him for a couple weeks and uh, and get him to work with us. So it was awesome. All right. All right. So um, this movie has a little bit of everything, I would say. It's, it's, it's a thriller. 
it's it's kind of a psychological thing. Um, it has some creature horror, and it has some very tense moments. So I I just want to I just want to get in your headspace while you were writing this movie. Mm-hmm. Were you envisioning what ended up on screen? Um, I mean, so the answer is yes and no. I mean, uh, when I write, I, I am seeing the shots as I write. I, I, I feel like I direct the film once when I write it. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty, you know, confident. I mean, it, it drives Jimmy nuts that I am so, this is where the camera is, you know? <laughs> but that's just the way I, I, I think about uh, a script. Um, but that, that being said, we were a, a very low budget film and there were certain things that just could not get to the level that I wanted them to get, mm-hmm. uh, because of limitations. Like we, we just, you know, like I'd have to cut shots on certain days just because we, we just didn't have enough time. Um, the, for example, one, one great example is the, the, the light in the lake scene, um, which is a little bit of a spoiler. But we, in my head, that light was 10 times brighter than it ended up being. You know, it was just bouncing everywhere, just Mm -hmm. absolutely flooding into the room um, and making a really big splash of light everywhere. Um, But, and so when Jimmy and I were ordering the light, when we were renting the light, we were debating between this 2K, uh, a panel and the 4k light that we ended up going with. And we were, we honestly thought that the 4k might be too much. We were really, cause the 4k is such a powerful light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were debating back and forth, debating back and forth. And then when we finally get to it on the day and we put the 4k in, we go, Oh my God, is that it? Is that all it gives off? Like we couldn't believe how weak it was in the water. Um, and not only did that happen, but the light broke on, in that oh, moment. Man. Yeah, so we lost three hours on that day because of a screw that the the crew had to figure out how to kind of you know MacGyver it so that mm-hmm. it would actually stick together, and that obviously led us to missing shots. But needless to say, there was a lot of things that I go, God, man, if we just you know if I could have just done that again, if could you know you're, you're I mean every filmmaker does that they they second guess every everything once it's made and they just mm-hmm. wish they had a little bit more time a little bit more money, whatever, but you know, you, you got to work within your limitations. So anything in particular where that you credit for inspiring to, to, to do this story? Yeah. Um, there was an image in my head, uh, that of a beam of light coming down from the sky and hitting a person in, in the chest. Okay. Um, but there was also another person in that image, somebody watching that person. Uh, and that's kind of led to the question of, you know, who is the person watching and what is their relationship to the person with the light in their chest? Um, and that led me to a story of my childhood, actually, when I was five years old, my first ever crush in my life was actually on my stepmom. Um, and, uh, my stepmom used to love to tell, uh, strangers to this day, how, when I was five years old, I used to go over to her house and pull on her sleeve and and whisper to her hey you should chase me around and try to tickle me um and that's all cute and fun and we can smile at that now but Mm -hmm. i always but i thought to myself what if the roles are reversed what if she was a a dude and i was a little girl 
mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it, it, it kind of border, it's borderline inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and so that what that, that idea really facilitated the story. Um, and I synthesized that kind of with the light in the lake and I kind of just let the characters decide where it went. Um, uh, yeah. And so that's really the inspiration behind it all. All right. So once you, once you have everything set, you have your money, you have your cast, you get on set, you are Mr. Director. Mm-hmm. How intimidating was it? Oh, was it at all? Completely. Oh, completely. Um, you know, you have a, a complete mental breakdown the day before you go, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not good enough for this. I shouldn't be doing this. I, I'm going to fail. The story's not that good. Maybe I'm going too crazy. I mean, we were doing some pretty crazy things. We shot it to make it look like, you know, a lifetime movie more or less at the beginning of the film. You know, we made it look kind of like a rom-com at the beginning and we wanted the, the kind of the fluorescence of the sci-fi to slowly seep into the film as the, um, more rom-com colors of it kind of desaturate. And then it just goes into this bizarre, crazy, um, cyan, amber, magenta realm, you know? Mm. Um, and so like, I was well aware that what I was doing was probably not going to be loved, but it just was what was in my head. Right. Um, and Jimmy, you know, wasn't sure about it either. <laughs> Jimmy's not the best at like bringing you like, keeping your confidence he he actually loves to take me down a peg instead (laughs) so uh so yeah i I, of of course i was having a complete nervous breakdown before i went into it um you know i I was second guessing everything we did the first two days were a disaster we we only got through like a page when we were supposed to get through five uh because we had all these issues on set yeah um and uh, we, I mean, the, the first Friday of our shoot, we had to shoot in a 12 page day to make up time. Um, and fortunately we got through it, you know, that, like that, um, that dining room, the, the living room scene where Michelle basically, um, the, the big fight between Michelle and Libby in the living mm-hmm. room that yeah. was shot in three hours because that's how much time we had left to shoot that wow. six page scene. Wow. Um, and so you know, it, that's just the kind of the nature of the beast with, with the low budget film is, is if you get mm-hmm. behind, you are in trouble and you are chasing the carrot the rest of the time. Um, and we were kind of behind right off the bat. And, uh, so it was, it was just a really, really battle for, for set. We lost an entire day of production too, because of, um, our animal wrangler didn't show up to set. What? The lamp rays just didn't show up. So we lost an entire day, wow. just didn't shoot anything. Um, so yeah, there was, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of battles, a lot of craziness. Um, but you know, we got through it <laughs> Yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what we accomplished. I, I think, you know, for what it is, I think uh, I'm very, I, I love the story. I think it works. Um, and I get that it's crazy and I get that the ending is a little open-ended, but mm. I, you know, I'm, I was writing a mystery, so, uh, I wanted the, the ending to be kind of mysterious a little yeah. bit yeah speaking of mysterious that location that that cabin that you guys shot in mm-hmm. that was pretty cool oh I mean, yeah that's, that's a great uh, location right you, you shoot it you shoot it from 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 different angles um i really like when... it's actually three different uh houses 
Oh, nice. Yeah, see? That's movie magic, man. Yep. It's movie magic. When you're outside, um, and she's... Uh, uh, so this is the, the no spoiler section. So I'm just gonna say she's just digging some stuff. Yeah. From the ground, mm-hmm. uh, you see this imposing house behind her, mm-hmm. um, and it has I don't know it has its own personality. It's yeah. It's, it's a very very cool location. So so okay. So you shot the film, and now mm-hmm. did you have a distribution plan beforehand? When when was when was production wrapped? So production wrapped in October. Let me let me tell you this. I was kind of blindsided. I had no idea that you were shooting this yeah. until you until you actually told me, "Hey, dude, um, I did this. Check it out." And I watched <laughs> the trailer, and I go, "What? What are you talking about?" Yeah. Um. So 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 when, when did this happen? This year? Last year? When when did this? No, we shot out? we shot in 2018. Um, okay. End of 2018, uh, we were going after festivals. So our plan was to edit by the end of May and uh, send out to festivals as best you know as best we could. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't come back into the editing room because Daniel Hanna, who was the editor, uh, I think was on another project, and I also just needed a distance from it because the set was such a battle. I was like, all right, I need to take a step back uh, and just rethink this whole thing. Um, when we came into the editing, uh, it started, Mark Sedeca, uh, edited the first rough cut and then Daniel and I came in and we did the next few passes. Um, and we did some test screenings, I think March of 2019 or something. Um, and it, people were responding into it really well. There was a couple tweaks here and there, uh, but we were really generally very happy to the reactions. Um, you know, especially certain scenes, like there was audible gasps and everything, everything seemed to be working, you know, mm-hmm. like we were going, okay, this is cool. Yeah. Um, and so then Abel was able to link us up with a, a company called Tunnel uh, Post, which is in Santa Monica and Tunnel just loved the film um, and they wanted sci-fi in the reel. So they decided to do, even though they're a big studio, they decided to do our film at our budget, which was amazing. I mean, and they did all of our VFX and, but, Obviously, because we were, you know, not paying them what the other studio, like studios were paying them, they, they, we kind of took a back seat a little bit, you know, and we yeah. were fine with that. We understood. But needless to say, we played at the festivals. Um, you know, uh, we had an incredible producer named Stephen Stanley, who um, used to work at Gersh Agency and used to work at Ketchup 23. So he has a lot of great connections with uh, festival screeners and um, distributors and sales agents. Um, and so we were really gunning for TIFF. Um, and we, we honestly thought we got, we had gotten into TIFF at one point. Um, we were really close. They were kept telling us you're in it, you're in it, you're in it. Um, and then, uh, even the week leading up to the announcement, they were still screening our film. Like you can tell on Vimeo, you know, we were like, Oh my God, they're still watching it. They, they're thinking about this, man. Like if we get into TIFF and we were super excited, um, and then they called us a day before the announcement and said, Hey, we, we, we loved it, but we had to cut it for something else. Oh, and that was man. devastating. Yeah, I know. Uh, and that was devastating. And so, but Steven really believed in the film, but he also wasn't sure about it. So he suggested to the group, he said, why don't we send it out to some sales agents and just see what we have, you know, see if they like it. 
Um, they'll probably say no because we don't have a festival under a belt, but it's worth to just ask, you know, see what they think of the film. Mm. And Paradigm wanted it. Like they, they actually asked to represent it. And we had a small discussion and we were going, listen, we could even get into festivals and not expect to get as good of a sales agent as Paradigm. So we should just jump on this. So we jumped on Paradigm. Um, and that we were going into Sundance and Paradigm was working the Sundance. And this is a, a big thing that everyone needs to realize about the film festival circuit is that every festival that gets into that those, the, every film that gets into those festivals is because there is a, somebody with a direct line to the screeners that is representing the film in some way, whether they're a producer or a sales agent or something. So the, the chances of you getting picked out of the, the random pile you know, are so small uh, because, I mean, this, this business is based on referrals. It just is. Mm. Uh, but neither we were pushing for Sundance. I'm not sure how close we got into Sundance. I got the impression we got somewhat close, but not nearly as close as TIFF. Um, and then that didn't happen. Um, and then we were going to go after South by Southwest. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, we had a discussion and Paradigm got decimated. They had to unfortunately lay off a ton of their people and furlough a ton of their people. Mm. Long story short, we ended up uh, getting you know, a bunch of offers and we went with vertical because you know, there's, a, there's always a trust issue when you're distributing a film. And uh, our producer, Stephen Stanley, he, one of his best friends in the film industry is one of this, the heads of vertical. So he just trusts them. He, we believe in them. We like them. They loved the film. They were super passionate about it. Whereas other distributors would kind of talk to us like they were doing us a favor by taking on the film, which is like, okay, I get that you are a big deal and you are probably doing us a favor, but you know, you could like pretend that you like the film, you know, (laughs) you know, or, or pretend that you believe in the film, but vertical really believed in it. And so did a few others, but we went with vertical. Um, and then XYZ came after us for international, um, uh, and we and we loved them, and they were super positive about the film. They loved the film, and so they they took care of the. So they they became on as the international sales agent, um, and they're distributing internationally. Okay, um, and so that's kind of how it all came together. Um, a lot of just connections and word of mouth. I honestly don't know how people do it without it, and I think it. I think cast and a producer or a representative who has those connections are probably the two most valuable things you can add to a film. Um, it's worth every bit of your money. Um, and, and I'm glad we had Steven, um, and Abel, um, with their connections. And I'm glad we had, um, you know, Amina and her name, because I don't know if the film would have done as well if it hadn't, you know? All right. So, now that we've uh, gone through all your uh, production stuff, how about if we talk a little bit spoilers? Okay, sure. All right. So first of all, I want to point out the VFX, which were pretty cool. I, I I was really impressed with the little that you show. It's very, very, very effective. Thank you. Uh, so um, especially in that scene when um, when... He, they're having sex. Oh yeah, the and skin. Yeah, the, you have the skin kind of popping out. Uh, that was really great. Um, 
And then just little things like the eyes kind of flickering. Mm-hmm. Um, That's not VFX actually. The first one was done by Daniel Hanna. The first little flicker. No. Yeah. That one's done by Daniel Hanna. The second one in the living room. Yeah. Was done by VFX. Yeah. So, that's yeah. yeah okay. okay. Yeah. But so, but bravo Daniel Hanna. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's this very, very creepy moment where you have Liberty, uh, looking at the guy who apparently just went into this lake and she's right in front of us and in the background in silhouette you see what's what's the guy's name again uh john smith john so john you see john kind of creeping up behind her and he's he's drying himself right mm-hmm. he's he's he he goes like this right like yeah. a dog Mm-hmm. But it's so it, it it's it's sped up, so it it looks so creepy that um, I think that was I think that was kind of like the uh, like the alien popping out uh, in signs that yeah. that moment. Um, and and uh, let me see other and then and then and, that, and not a, by the way that's not VFX either that was done by Daniel Hanna in the edit. We did right. That. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. All right. I'm just oh, like I, I, I just yeah, have to compliment Daniel when he's able. To, I mean, I think we ended up having to do a VFX pass to kind of make it look good, like mm-hmm. extra, extra good. But yeah, the original was done by Daniel Hanna. So all right. I, yeah, yeah. Got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, absolutely. Go Hanna. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, and the, who who was actually another USC alum graduate. and, yeah, and a writer yeah. director in his own right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the other thing is, this is not a VFX, uh, but the, the light in the water, mm. this is, that's how you start the film. It's, it's great. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, it's, it, it sets the mood. It sets the color palette that you're kind of driving into. Yeah. I also want to point out this scene on the boat, which is <laughs> <laughs> very disturbing <laughs> very very disturbing. Yep. Um not because of what happens to Liberty mm-hmm. where she gets her period. It's what happens after. What John, <laughs> what John does with yeah. And 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 what what and what he says about it. Um cuz he starts off saying, "Ah, eh, it's nothing. Come on. We're both we're both scientists, right?" We're, yeah. You know. He's actually saying the things that we should be saying about menstruation, right. which is what's yeah. crazy about it. Yeah. But then but then he says, "Here, look." And then he licks his fingers. Mhm. And then he says, "Oh, you got a little red on your hair." Like, "Nah. Like it's uh it's all right. You got a little red on your hair." <laughs> Uh, very, very disturbing. Um, but my favorite scene by far is the shower scene. Yeah. People love that. But I I honestly think that the reason that that scene functions in my humble opinion is that it, it functions so well because of the previous scene. Um, oh yeah. Oh no, absolutely. uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's it's all driving. Yeah. It's all driving towards that. Cause this, this scene happens right after this boat scene. Mm hmm. And what 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 I really like is that you take your time. You're very patient with this scene. There's really nothing happening. 
mm-hmm. but there's so much happening because you have her in the foreground. She's kind of thinking about this that happened. And mm-hmm. then you have this creepy other guy on the other side. You have the shower separating the screen into two. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this limited space and then he's coming around. The The light hits them perfectly. Um, it hits her perfectly to hide her her boobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it hits him perfectly where you can see all his glorious manhood. Yeah. Um, and it could play as funny. Um, it could play as corny, but they... I don't. I don't know what it is. He, because by this point, you're you're already you're already saying, okay, this dude is not from here. This dude is either a, a, or a monster or an alien or something's going on with this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that point in the boat pretty much tells you that this is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and so he smells and he kind of touches the the uh, the, sh- the shower curtain, mm-hmm. and his moves are very deliberate. There are moments where you think she's going to catch him, but she doesn't. Um, and of course, this is all timing. Uh, I can almost imagine yourself telling her, okay, now look. <laughs> now look. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, yeah, that scene, very, very cool. And then the way it ends, I kind of see a, 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 a parallel with, with Mimic. Mm. Um, it, not not only in the bleak turn that the movie goes into mm-hmm. at the end, but also in in the psychology of the characters because that one single frame at the end, and maybe I'm going crazy, mm-hmm. but did she smile at the end? Mm-hmm. All right, and that's that's almost how you end mimic. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you show him at the end, he's kind of right. Mm-hmm. He's kind of happy this all happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so there's that parallel. There's the parallel that you you end the movie in such um, such a bleak manner, uh, kind of a Debbie Downer. <laughs> um, People don't like tragedies anymore. But, I guess it's the pandemic. <laughs> but, but but well, yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it fits. It fits with the whole genre that you're shooting for. Yeah, I mean, I'm not is, a this... big fan of happy endings in horror movies. I, I don't know if I'll ever make a happy ending in a horror film. Right, you know? right. And even though, even though it's it, like I said, you have patience with your scenes, it's still a pretty tight movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- we're not talking about a two-hour film. Yeah, well, we. I mean, th- I mean it. We actually didn't get an entire scene because we didn't have time to shoot it. So it, it should have been probably a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had gotten that scene and we had to cut one of the scenes as well, because it, again, it was just one of those scenes that like, we didn't get, we couldn't mm-hmm. get it. Um, um, so it probably should have been an, like an hour and a half movie, maybe a little bit more, but yeah, it ended up being, I think it's only 86, 87 minutes. And then that final scene, uh, well, not the final scene, but the, uh, your set piece at the end in the basement, mm where your color palette just goes all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very um, psychedelic, I would say. How was the sound for that scene with the birthing? It's it's great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I'm telling you, the, the, the sound mix makes all the difference, man. Yep. I'm telling you. 
I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Uh, wish wish you could have been here. Yeah, I, I, I would have loved to. Yeah, yeah. we would have had the popcorn right next to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, by the way, you were you were talking about that shot in the beginning that people didn't get or something like that, or, or at the end, was it? The spaceship? So here's the way I look at it, is the last scene shot of the film, which a lot of people are upset about, um, and a lot of people actually love it too. It's, it's very, you know, we've gotten tons of reviews at this point. I think we have like 40 reviews, and people are really divided over the ending. Some people love it because it's bold, and other people hate it because they don't think it ties together well, like it doesn't fit, like it feels like it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. but for me I, w- one of the early conversations I had with Jimmy was he said there's so many elements of this film if you had to define it with one, with one genre just one what would it be and I said it's a mystery it's a mystery who is John Smith right and uh, which is one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of the you know synopsis and one of the reasons I'm not a big a huge <laughs> fan of the trailer though it's getting people to watch it so you know you gotta be but um, and I am, con- I have, in my opinion, we put all the, cl- the answers to the clues, all mm-hmm. the, the final, the, the final aha moment in that last shot, you know, um, with the physical trait, with the way their bodies are handled with all these different things. And if you go back in the film and you re and you listen to John talk again, and you start to watch the things that are happening to Libby and her mom, mm-hmm that's hopefully it'll tie it all together for you. Um, and that's my goal as a filmmaker with this film was to give you one, uh, an ending that was, that left you kind of like, Oh my God. And then once you went back and you rewatched, you realize you saw all the harbingers, you saw all the Easter eggs that are littered throughout the film that told you, this is exactly where we're going. Mm. Um, I mean, John literally explains his evil plot at one point right in front of both of them. Yeah. Um, and people miss it um, until they watch it again, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that and, you know, I, I would say that people are upset uh, by the, op- the, the ending. I would say uh, the best I can do for you with the help is that the, the, the first fil- shot of the film and the last shot of the film are sister shots. The first shot of the film is coming down, and the last shot is going up, uh, and that kind of lets you know what that should let you know what's happening. <laughs> okay, all right. You know? So, all right. Um, another thing that I noticed after watching the movie is that I don't want to eat potato salad again. Because <laughs> uh, that listen. was that was laced with something was, that was had it, some. Was it obvious that it was potato salad? I don't know. It, Maybe or pasta salad. It's, or it's supposed something. to be egg. It's supposed to be egg salad. All right. Yeah. But potato, but, potato, but, egg, whatever. It's a. Yeah. It's a, one of those salads where you put mayonnaise in it, right? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. You. You're one of the few that's picked up on that. I've done a lot of interviews, and nobody's picked up that 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 the the salad's laced. Yeah. And and in order for him to hibernate every night, he needs to make them pass out. So he has like a yeah. little snack that he brings I, them. I think. Um, I think even the coke is laced. Yeah, yeah. From the beginning, I'm saying, all right, that's laced, and okay, and this other thing is laced, and that bracelet, that's probably uh, laced with something. Mm -hmm. um, Well, you're right about the bracelet, too. There you go. Yeah, but the bracelet was different because the bracelet was also imprinting something on it, Mm -hmm. on on the person, right? Yeah. Like marking them and also... 
having branding. them yep. have having them uh become fertile. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, but but I thought I thought it was I don't know, laced with some drug or something like that. It wasn't until she came down to the basement where the where the uh, black light shone on her on her wrist that you actually kind of see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so no egg salad, potato salad, or any of those salads for me from now yeah. on. <laughs> and that was that that actually that whole part of the script came out of a problem that I had when the outlining stage. So. I hate horror movies where they don't call the police or they don't call for help. Right. It just drives me crazy. Um, and Mm -hmm. so at some point I needed Liberty to not only call for help, but to contact someone and to feel like their help was coming. Um, and so I, I had her call her best friend because that's what a 16 year old girl would most likely do. Um, and Marley comes over, but then once I had her there, I was like, okay, what do I do with, this person like i can't keep them around that's problematic you know both from a budget perspective and from a uh story perspective uh so that's where the the start of the egg salad and and the idea of oh well it makes sense if you would drug her every night because he needs to go high, like he needs to go incubate in his you know place um and so and so that's it. All came from just seeing a problem in the script and trying to fix it. I, I still don't think it's as solid as of a, a solution as I could have come up with, but it was the mm-hmm. best I could come up with at the time. And I still ha- have not thought of a better one of how to deal with Marley being there. You know, right? Um, right, right. That was the best idea I had. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Once, once uh, her mom says, "Oh, she left hours ago," I went, "All right, she's dead." yeah she is dead 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 yep um okay last question yes unless you have something else to add no this has been great lots of fun so regarding regarding all this uh creature body horror whatever you want to call it um did you guys do special suits like for the feet I know you have close up on the, yeah, on the legs. The, the 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 feet were a practical, um, you know, uh, like an actual sock kind of thing that uh, our makeup uh, artist, our key makeup artist, made. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she spent so many hours on these things, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, again, we're we're super low budget. We're doing the best I can. <laughs> Uh, we can. And so we just, we had to go with some sort of practical thing. We knew we had to show the, the, the thing at some point, a little bit at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, uh, we had those, she made those and like, she took forever to make those. I mean, those things were so meticulously made. She had to make every single scale that ended up going on to them. And it was a whole to do. I mean, it was unbelievable how hard she worked on them. Uh, and I'm so glad she did because, you know, we needed that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, was there was there ever a point where you said maybe we can do a full body, or was that never your intention? I had a I had a final shot in one draft um, that reveals everything. That's very clear cut. Um, that does show you know who they are and where that last shot is is and where they're going, all that stuff. Um, but you know, just budget, you know, like what the fuck you can't, afford, you know, it was just crazy. Right. And, um, and so, and I, and again, I, I, I love 
endings where you can interpret it in different ways. And I've heard some crazy, there's a Reddit on our, like on our ending, you know, and there's a couple people posting on the endings and that's so cool. You know, every time the PR, the marketing team says, Hey, there's somebody with a theory over here, you know, and, and they show it to us. It's, it's pretty cool to just see these people argue about it. Um, and that's kind of nice. what you want. You don't want film to just, you know, you, you finish it and then you're done with it. You mm-hmm. want it to kind of last with you. You want to still be thinking about it afterwards. I think if, if you've accomplished that, I feel like that's one of the best compliments you can get as a filmmaker is if somebody's still thinking about your film the day after they watched it, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, how do, how does it feel to have other people just critique your film, good or bad? Oh, I mean, it's because it's cause, horrible. Cause I've been I've been. I, I understand in... that this is this is this is very personal. I mean, when you direct oh, yeah. something, you're just putting yourself out there. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So I suffer from depression and anxiety, um, yeah. and there is nothing more vulnerable than being critiqued and Mm -hmm. putting your film out there um and so we when we started to get reviews we got them all from our pr team all from the horror websites and the reviews were like overwhelmingly positive just great review great review like people were talking about one of the best horror films of the year um one of the favorite films of the year i mean we were so overwhelmed with positive reviews that i was like oh my god this is great like we're doing well right Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I look on Rotten Tomatoes and our one negative review is on Rotten Tomatoes. And I go, what the fuck? What about all the positive ones? Why is there one negative review on Rotten Tomatoes? And, and, and I shit you not, like I have a review list of like 30 reviews or 40 reviews. And I would say four, probably 40 to 42 of them are positive And three are like middle and four or five are bad. And three of the bad ones are on I are on Rotten Tomatoes. It's absolutely like the most upsetting thing in the world, like the most frustrating thing. And and so I was like, I started to second guess the film. I was like, oh my god, did we make a shitty movie? Like, is it that bad? Um, even though the negative reviews were were still giving us fifty percent, they weren't saying it was bad. They were just saying it was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so upset. And then I started looking at the IMDb page, and we were getting decimated with like one star, one star, one star. And I was going, Oh my God, like what the, like it made no, I was, and I just hit rock bottom, man. I I was in the corner. My girlfriend was trying to cheer me up. Like I was, I was devastated. I could not understand it. And then all of a sudden somebody sent me a screenshot of one of the comments and a screenshot of this blog. And I finally figured out why the hell we're getting so brutalized on there was because of that one Donald Trump line. Like people are so angry about that. I mean, I think there's definitely like negative reviews. I'm not saying there's not negative reviews um, because people hate, like a lot of people hate the ending, mm-hmm. but at least it contextualized what was going on a little bit for me and, and, and gave me some relief, you know, right. to know that, okay, we don't have a one star film. <laughs> you know, like we, we just have, we just really pissed people off. <laughs> and at the end of the day, Hey, that's, that's not bad. You know, I'd rather piss you off than bore you. So, right. um, um, but yeah, so, so needless to say, if you ever make a film, Richard, um, when you make your first feature, Richard, go into a cabinet in the middle of the woods, turn <laughs> off all your electronics and don't talk to anyone for two weeks <laughs> when it comes out. I'm not even kidding. Just, just, just go away, dude. Just, 
it, it's it's so it's so upsetting and it, it's so tough to see especially when like people missed like you can read a review and you can tell they missed something and you're yeah. like dude you're reviewing something you didn't even catch like you probably were went to the toilet or something you know right. like or we're looking at your phone you know and also uh this is a small thing but i've always i've noticed this too is we have uh, on rotten tomatoes we only have male reviewers and the okay. film film's a female driven film you know like right. and the fe- and women audiences love the film like we originally got picked up by xyz because a bunch of the female uh females that worked there really loved it and championed it mm-hmm. um and so i i was i i'd hope we'd get a little bit more it, it's funny how many male reviewers are out there but there's but the, i would hope there'd get we'd get a couple more reviews from some female uh critics you know because i think yeah. that would help they would make sense of the mom and daughter relationship a little bit better because you know that's something that with, I found through a lot of research and I hope that it, it is, it feels authentic, you know? So when's your next one? <laughs> when's my next one? <laughs> That's a good question, man. I, I, I'm hopeful. I have a whole bunch of scripts. Uh, I've been stockpiling them for years because I have nowhere to send them. I, I won't go into the details of other scripts, but yeah, I have a lot of other scripts. I'd love to make one. Um, I've even, thought of an idea for a sequel to this one or a TV series spinoff for this one, but you know, okay. only if it gets some sort of weird cult following can that mm-hmm. happen. So we'll see, you know? All right. Well, Bratton, do you have anything else to say about your movie? What lies below? Uh, you know, it's available now on VOD and digital platforms. It's uh, usually in the new releases section or the uh, in theaters now section of those platforms. Yeah, I, I don't have. I, I I just thank you. It's so good to see you, man. Like to be yeah, honest, I, I feel likewise. bad. I've been so out of touch. Uh, I hope Roxanne and the kids are doing well. And uh, uh, yeah, man. Oh, and we we got to talk about your script. Um, and uh, and catch up a little bit. All right. Well, that's gonna be it for us today. Brad, and where can people find you or any of your work on social media? Uh, my, uh, website's rangerfilms.com and my, uh, that's singular ranger, R-A-N-G-E-R films.com. And then my, uh, Instagram is, uh, director underscore BRD, uh, on Instagram. Uh, and that I'm, I'm, I really am not very active on Instagram or Facebook, but Instagram is the best place to get to me if you need to. All right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Media Review Pod. That's Media R E V U E Pod. And you can send us emails and questions, comments, and suggestions to Media Review Pod at gmail.com. Or you can just leave a voicemail message with our phone number, 407 603 5847. Please don't forget to subscribe to our feed and rate and review the pod with five beautiful stars. Braddon, it has been great to catch up and talk to you again. Feel you free too, to reach sir. out whenever you want to come back. Feel free. All right. Let's do it. I love to argue about another film. Yeah. That's not mine. <laughs> and to all our listeners out there, please keep wearing your masks practice some good old-fashioned physical distancing and make something, express it, live it, feel it. But please, please don't forget to breathe and stay out of creepy lakes. Till next time, have a good one. Bye.